Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 139, and it's titled Accepting Yourself and Coming Out as Kinky. I think all of our episodes are fun, so I say this a lot, but I think this is going to be a really fun episode. We've covered areas of kink before. We've covered some areas of BDSM before. We've given you our take on it. We had somebody who was into BDSM on it, but we've never had basically a professional in the world of kink and BDSM. And so that's going to be really exciting today because we're going to get to talk to somebody who this is what he does for a living. And I think it's going to be relevant to a lot of people, partially because, Celine, you, you came up with some data for us here on that. Yeah, I was doing some research, and apparently kink is way more common than you'd expect. Uh, research showing that about half of all people have had some kind of freaky sex at some point, and a whooping 84% saying that they'd like a little bit more kink in their lives. So if you think you're a freak, you're kinky, or something's unusual, obviously the numbers don't lie, you're not. Yeah, 84%, <laughs> that is a large number. Now keep in mind, right, There's, and I'm sure we'll get into this once we really start the conversation, but there can be a broad range of what's considered kink, right? So it uh-huh. doesn't mean you got to be strapped to a cross and, you know, taken through an entire scene to be kinky. There's other things that you could potentially do that fall in the realm of kink. So I am excited. So first, we'll just do a quick little sponsor break, and then we will introduce today's guest. So if you want to join the secret club of men who are great in bed, then check out Power and Mastery at powerandmastery.com. It is the most complete sexual mastery training for men, whether you want to have harder erections, last longer, or increase your sexual skills, there is something for you at powerandmastery.com. So today we have Sir Ezra. He is the headmaster of the House of Algos, the director of education at Sanctuary LAX Studios and sex coach at whatsinmykinky.com. So welcome, Ezra. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. So number one, I'm really excited because, you know, when we think about uh dominatrix and dumb play like I think a lot of people will think about the woman in her heels and with her like whip or whatever that thing is called <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and so today I'm like really excited to have a man on the show because it is changing how people think about kink what they think about it being a dom like what it looks like and hopefully we're going to take our listeners through quite a journey so let's start at the beginning a little bit with your own journey um, and we want to hear more about your sexual journey because I know that you weren't always fully kinky out there maybe you were always kinky but you didn't always admit it to yourself or yeah or the outside world (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely um well i mean i definitely was always kinky i can remember being very exploratory let's just say i played a lot of doctor you know uh (laughs) early on but and my uh i would actually 
describe a relationship I had in high school as master slave only based on the power dynamic that was organically established, even though at the time I didn't have the words to describe it or really understand what it was, but we were always really very exploratory. As soon as I started having sexual relationships, there was a lot of exploration, like, you know, what else can we try? What else can we try? Um, and I always gravitated towards dominant and submissive relationships. Um, honestly, I don't even know how I figured how I found it so organically in the past, but I did. And um, at a certain point in my 20s, I said, okay, well, childish things aside, you know, time to be a grown up and do what grown ups do. Uh, and that was really, you know, maybe the biggest mistake I've made in my life. I don't know at all. It all comes together to who you become. So I don't know if mistake is the right word, but sometimes it feels like, you know, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I want to just uh, pause you there for a moment because I'm curious, what was it, what was the influence that was telling you that you needed to sort of do what adults do and stop being exploratory? Like, what was the influence? Was it society? Was it parents? Was it girlfriends, boyfriends? Like, what was it that made you go, okay, wait a minute, this is childish stuff and I need to be an adult? I think it's it's a whole bunch of things, you know? I mean, I identify as sadistic and there's not a lot of good role models for, you know, well-adapted sadistic behavior, Right. So there's part of me that thought, okay, like this has been fun, but if I'm going to keep doing this, it's going to make me a worse person. Can we give a definition of uh, sadism for our listeners who are not quite clear, just so we can all be on the same page? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would, in the broadest sense, define sadism as um, like the Germans schadenfreude, the joy of others' misery, right? Um, but in the context of a sexual orientation, it is specifically sexual pleasure from someone else's discomfort or pain or, uh, or anguish. And, you know, it's consensual. It's all consensual. And so the counterpart of the sadist is the masochist, right? And so there are these people who enjoy being uncomfortable or in pain or tortured or, you know, in some kind of predicament. So that's a pretty fine line to walk, isn't it, right? Because you could you could very easily take it too far into an unhealthy realm, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you absolutely can. And um, what's really dangerous is that it can often look the same from the outside. And so in BDSM education, we spend a lot of time working on differentiating abuse from BDSM. So um, I think the best way to understand it is uh, power over versus power with. So uh, if you and I role play police officer and prisoner, right, or police officer and defender, right? So I'm role playing. We have chosen to do this thing together. And so I'm actually, even if I'm the, playing the police officer and you're playing the, you know, offender, we are doing it together and we are, I'm empowering you and you are empowering me. So we both have more power for doing the thing. Whereas a real police officer is going to take power away from somebody. You put them in handcuffs against their will. You've taken away their, uh, their facility to move, right? So power over versus power with, and that can be a very fine line. Um, but 
but it's uh, once you understand it, you can definitely toe that line. Cool. And I, I just wanted to make sure that the audience kind of understood that difference there because there could be people listening going, whoa, that's like way over the line. <laughs> so I'm glad that we, we did a little aside there to sort of define that and explain to people that there is actually a line there and that although it may appear one way, if you just were to walk into a room and see it happening um, in the right circumstances, not actually that way. So. Well- Oh, sorry. So, well, I was, I was just going to say, it's masochism is super common. So if you ever enjoyed getting a spanking, you're on that spectrum of masochism. If you ever enjoyed spicy food, you're on that spectrum of masochism <laughs> because you don't... Uh, I don't spices, know what talking about. Hot is not a flavor. Hot is a sensation, <laughs> and it's a painful sensation. Oh, very interesting. So see, you are kinkier than you thought, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, well, so are you. We learned that a couple of years ago. <laughs> so I want to go back to that journey of yours, Ezra, where, so you were like, I got to grow up, I got to do the right thing. And to you, it looked like, if I remember, it was like getting married, uh, kind of having like the house, I think even the kids, like, so let's pick it up maybe from there. So you're making that decision, you're going into like this, what everybody expects of you to have the marriage and the family life. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get too personal with my ex-wife, but there was always like a conflict of the kind of sex and the frequency of sex we were having. And, you know, it was just like, okay, well, that's marriage, right? You just, it's a compromise. Nobody's happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a good marriage there. (laughs) Unfortunately, there's a lot of examples of that. And so that was readily available, whereas, you know, a healthy, dominant, submissive relationship was maybe not available, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it was about, you know, just conforming and being, being part of what, you know, have, doing the thing, investing in a family, investing in, you know, a property. Um, and I did that, and I was miserable, Mm. You know, I, I sort of understand that because this is this is not really the same thing. But I remember being in my twenties, and I you know I had long hair, and I had worked as a lifeguard on the beach, and like total you know like beach bum kind of thing. Even after I had graduated college, and then I somehow I was like, I I need to get a real job, and you know as I cut my hair short and like got real jobs in the corporate world, and I fucking hated it hated it. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, I kind of, I kind of understand what you're saying in a sense of society is telling you that you should do things a certain way. And, you know, when we're younger, we haven't explored maybe enough yet, or we're not confident enough to trust our own uh, inner guidance. And so we kind of cave to the pressure and we go out and we do that. And then sometimes we're miserable. Right? And I actually want to say that I applaud you for realizing that this was not the life that you wanted and changing it. Yeah. Well, and thank goodness it only took me a few years as opposed to, you know, decades, right? Mm-hmm. I could have figured this out when I was 50. <laughs> <laughs> or never. You could have never figured it out like a lot of people and they just suffer their whole lives. Yeah. 
Yeah. So tell us more about how did you discover yourself in BDSM? So you're in this relationship, you followed the path, you're realizing you are miserable. You've always had attractions towards BDSM. Uh, so I'm imagining now there's this conflict, right? Where you're like, okay, you're not happy with this relationship. There's this thing you liked. How do you go from there of like, how do you get to explore, to like embrace it fully? Yeah, well, and I have to give... I have to give my ex-wife a lot of credit because uh, so we acknowledged that this was a conflict. You know, I she thought I was going to settle down, you know, and I thought she was going to open up. And we both <laughs> we both went the direction we thought the other person was going to go. You know, I opened up more and, and she settled down more, you know, um, but we realized this was a problem. I broached I originally would be like, oh, let's do this thing. Let's try this thing. Let's do this thing. And she was, she had some enthusiasm to start with, but then that enthusiasm diminished over time. And at a certain point, I realized that it was, you know, we were never going to get to where I was hoping we would get to. Uh, and so I did, I did some research and I found like a kinky, uh, like a kinky therapist who in the original conversation realized that I was kinky and probably poly. Right. And so she says like, why don't you open up the marriage? And I was like, she'll never go for it. Like I'm totally down, but <laughs> she'll never go for it. And, and so we went, we met in person eventually and uh, she totally wasn't into it. She was like, how could you do this to me? Can we still have a child? What, you know? Um, <laughs> so, but it wasn't a betrayal in my mind, right? Because it was it was the thing that could have saved the marriage, right? We could still maybe have been partners if she could have dealt with that. But but she just couldn't, and that's fine. You know, we all have our limitations. Um, but because we realized that this was such a critical issue, we sort of sought a solution. And so we actually began exploring the BDSM community together. You know, uh, she would come to classes. We would go to munches we would do things together. And, um, and then eventually we actually became what I would call play poly where, uh, we were the only, we were our only partners in the bedroom, but out outside of the bedroom, I was allowed to do certain things. Like I could just, you know, spank somebody that she had met that she approved of or something. Um, and it was pretty rigid, but, uh, but I did my best to follow it. And at a certain point, she was just like, you know, I'm done exploring. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm just not. starting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is great. I'm not. I mean, and again, I can't I can't fault her for not being able to accept all of me because neither did I. Like when we met, I hadn't accepted that as a really important part of me. But it's it's amazing how being denied something can illustrate to you how important that thing is. Right. So I didn't realize like how critical sexual exploration was to, to who I am as a person, you know, yeah, well, that's, uh, until that's the you know, classic. You, you, you don't know how good something is until you don't have it anymore. Right. You know, <laughs> or, yeah, or yeah. until you realize that you have been wanting it and have never had it. But I, th there was a great segue in there, which was you talking about how, how could she accept you, all of you, if you didn't accept all of you? And I really want to explore that because that's definitely one of the main topics of this episode is 
what did you do? How did you go about that path of learning to accept yourself? Well, I mean, it, it meant meeting people who were farther along on a similar path than me. You know, <clears throat> it was, you know, as I mentioned before, there aren't a lot of models. Like you can look at like Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton as like, a, they're definitely kinky right like didn't didn't they carry around like a vial of each other's blood on a necklace for a while like that's, that's fucking kinky but you don't you don't get to <laughs> yeah, well, you don't get to like understand the intimate components of the relationship was she his submissive was he her submissive was you know were they poly like who the fuck knows and so you don't really get to learn about how to do that you know and so you know going to munches going to classes going to events was an opportunity to make friends in the BDSM community and learn about people who were on a similar path to where I wanted to be or where I eventually was. And, and I was like, Oh, okay. So a dominant submissive relationship can be healthy and happy. And it's not, you're not taking advantage of your partner and you're not, you know, um, you're getting one over on them or something. Right. So I definitely want to go back into this exploration of the uh, dominant submissive and, and kind of like what it looks like. But before maybe we get there, I want to know, so I know that you were saying like to seek other people who have done what you want to do, who have more experience, to surround yourself and immerse yourself into the world that you want to explore. And I know that another part for you, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned uh, prior to the show that therapy was a big one for you that worked. So was it about talking out loud the things that you were too afraid to maybe share with other people or like in what way, like did therapy help you and, and what was it that really made that tipping point for you? Well, I, I know that my therapist uh, is kinky. And so in a way that was just another example of seeing somebody who was a farther along on the path. You know, she said something to me that, that sticks in my mind to this day. And that was maybe eight years ago at this point. And she said, someday somebody's going to appreciate the fuck out of you, <laughs> you know, because my ex-wife wanted some parts of me, but would rather just let other parts go and say, well, you know, you can't, you can't be that person also, mm -hmm. you know, and then, I mean, I'm, I'm remarried now and I am appreciated for 100% of my, of my bizarreness, you know? <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait to dive into that. because we always say that, um, that there's, there's always a match for you. It doesn't matter how kinky or, or vanilla, wherever you are, if you think you're weird, there is somebody out, out there who likes the same things as you. You might narrow a little bit your searches, you know, if you're very specific and stuff, but we've seen, we have the kinkiest friends and we've, we've seen them meet each other. I mean, get married and they're like crazy stuff. And I'm like, if this person can find a match, anyone can. This we, is really what we always say. We have one friend in particular who is on the far extreme end of the kinky scale like way out there on the far end of the scale and we've we saw him go through relationship after relationship after relationship and it always seemed like nobody was quite 
enough for him. And then one day, he literally found somebody even kinkier <laughs> than he is. That was and amazing they, to watch. Yeah, it was. And they're, they're actually a pretty incredible match. I'm they like, really where are. was she his whole life? <laughs> so I want to know, in your opinion, Ezra, what is the biggest mistake that people make? Um, and, and right now we're talking about like, you know, being kinky and BDSM and accepting yourself, like a, maybe at this beginning, like what, in your opinion, is the biggest mistake people make? Uh, the most common mistake... I'm not sure biggest, like most impactful, but certainly the most common mistake that people make is that their dominant submissive orientation is going to match their gender. Mm. Mm -hmm. So many people come in. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a couple come into the dungeon twice. The first time, she's on a leash, and the second time, he's on the leash. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, and there's also... There's this whole contingency of women that are dominant, but feel like they should be submissive. And it's it's a huge conflict for them uh, and for the community at large because they're they're not really submissive. So they're sort of they've increased the spectrum of what a submissive can be because they're really just <laughs> dominant or switches, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, we're going to dive more into this, but we're going <laughs> to we're gonna do a little sponsor ad here. Um, today's episode is brought to you by Aneros. Aneros prostate massages can be enjoyed in many different ways to enhance the strength and pleasure of your orgasms. A healthy prostate means you're able to have stronger, longer sex. Stronger, longer sex means you're able to have a healthy prostate. Healthy prostate, healthy life. Hey, that's a good thing. Aneros prostate massages can be used for solo play or to enhance sex with a partner. The Aneros gives you hands-free pleasure with the utmost comfort. And it's kinky shit too, so you should try it. <laughs> so go to CelineRemy.com forward slash go forward slash prostate and that's our affiliate link to get to the Aneros. It's CelineRemy.com forward slash go forward slash prostate and make sure you use Love Lab at the checkout to get a 10% off your purchase. So you can support the Love Lab podcast and be kinky all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Two in one. (laughs) Okay, so... I want to come back to that element. I'm fascinated about this whole like power dynamic. Uh, I love what you were mentioning about like, it doesn't mean because you're women, you have to be submissive or because you're a man, you have to be the dominant. Uh, There's things that can shift here. Um, So what do you think are the most important elements that people need to apply or know when it comes to BDSM? Uh, Okay. The the most important elements are self-knowledge and communication. Because those are really transferable to any role, any activity. You need to know what you want, what you don't want, what you absolutely will never do. Those are things that are really important to know. And you need to be able to communicate those to your partner. And, I mean, it's a whole subculture. BDSM is a subculture. And in this subculture, it is essential to talk about what you're interested in. It may feel awkward compared to the regular world to on your first date be like, you know, I love it when you yank on my balls, you know, like our first date, she asked me to masturbate her for our, for a homework project. So, you know, 
That's a, that that went well. That's a that's a sign the date went well. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, you know, we're five years in, married now, so I think it was good. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I'm thinking about a client of mine. So he's married and he's got some different fantasies and things that he's, you know, we're working on this and helping him like opening up to that and, and talking about it with his wife. Uh, he's not like, he's not a smoker, but he likes to use like smoking with like some masturbation. And, and that's kind of like his kink around that and things like that. Now, the biggest thing that I see is number one is for him to accept this part of himself, you know, and that's kind of like what you're talking about, about really accepting who you are. And I'm curious too, if you have like a tip about that, where you just have to come to a place of saying like, fuck it, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, like move on. And then the second one is really like bringing this shit up to your partner and, and then exploring. And so what I'm curious about is like, because you've been through that in your first marriage, you had to do some of the work and then now in your second marriage you have found somebody who can support you fully so maybe if we could explore that and and maybe give some tips and and hopefully my client is listening to this show too so he can get some extra little tips here (laughs) yeah yeah well so the first thing i would say is that there is a there's an impulse to uh explain you know have an explanation as to why something is sexual when it might not be it might not be innately sexual, for example, smoking, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can spend a lifetime trying to figure out why. And in that whole lifetime of why, we may not have accepted it. Mm-hmm. So it's way better to accept it first. And then, if at all, figure out an explanation. And the parallel I like to draw is that there, everyone's always preoccupied with this conversation of like, is homosexuality born? Is it a choice? Is it learned? And none of that matters. Uh, if you're going to accept somebody for being gay, then you're going to do that, right? And the explanation doesn't matter. As if, you know, being born gay would somehow give you permission to accept them because they didn't make that choice. But if they made a choice, then we're not going to accept them because, you know, we don't agree with that choice. You know, it's it's all just extra, right? Acceptance is essential at, at being okay with who we are, right? And so regardless of why that thing is sexy, it is sexy. And how are you going to deal with that? Yeah, I, I love that piece. To me, that that parallels a lot about what you and I talk about when it comes to even therapy, which is we are not huge fans of the type of therapy that goes back and delves into your childhood and spends three years going over every little bad thing that ever happened to you. We are kind of more in line with the, okay, that stuff happened to you. We acknowledge it. And let's, uh, move on from there and figure out what you're going to do about it now rather than going into the story of it. And I, I think it's very similar, which is, you know, what you're basically saying is it doesn't matter how you got there, but the point is to be accepted either way from whichever path you came. And honestly, mm-hmm. when it comes to that debate, I think the answer is both. I think it depends on the person. I think some people are born that way and I think some people make a choice. And that's probably why nobody can ever answer the question because it's both. So we're going to get very personal here because I think when it thinks, when we think about kinky and BDSM, most people will think about Fifty Shades of Grey and that's kind of the example. And I'm very curious, like, do you think this is a good example of kink? And then I also kind of want to hear, 
what does your life look like? And because you work as a dom, as a professional dom, and you're married. And I want to hear about like agreements and things like, how do you guys make it work? And because that's mm -hmm. going to be like inspirational. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. So uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is a piece of theater, you know, um, and I don't think that they hired enough consultants in the space. Like there are lots of people who would have gladly given like real world accounts of what those things look like. And I think as a whole, it is good, right? It is good for the community because it helped bring people in. And the more people who are in the community, the more resources we have to succeed. Um, there are examples that are good of things that, that they did, uh, that are like good examples of BDSM. There are other examples that are terrible. Uh, but that aside, I think as a whole, it was good. It brought a lot of people in to the community. Um, and I was, I was already interested and, but my timing was such that I, I came in with the 50 shades of gray wave, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we can go back and look at like the secretary, you know, which was also an, a sort of DS kind oh, of example. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that was also an abusive relationship, mm -hmm. uh, but it still also inspired people. And it's, it's important to realize that erotica doesn't have to be ethical. Mm. Doesn't have to be realistic. Uh, it can give people the wrong idea sometimes, but it can draw people in. Then they find the real idea from from the community. It's like every rock climbing movie I've ever watched. You know, as a as a climber for many many years, I watch it and I go, "That is the most unrealistic thing." But everybody else watching it is like, "Oh my god, that's so cool! I can't believe they actually do that." I gotta go rock climbing now. <laughs> gotta go rock climbing now. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah, and every rock climbing movie is good for the rock climbing industry, right? In the end. Uh -huh. In the end, I don't know about Free Solo, but. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good movie, but he's insane. It was. Yeah. So, so tell us more about your relationship. Uh, of course, you know, whatever your agreement is with your wife, with what you can share. Uh, but I just, I'm just fascinated in how people make it work with having mm -hmm. different lifestyles than what's more uh, mainstream, reg quote unquote, regular. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, well, um, so she is my slave wife. Uh, we tend to use property versus slave just because uh, the racial connotations of slave can be a little bit upsetting for people. But um, so I would describe our relationship as an owner property relationship. So um it's a little bit like uh, a relationship that you might have with uh, uh, a child in your care, right? That per, you want that, that child to have as much autonomy as possible. You want that child to make as many decisions as possible, but at the end of the day, you're the boss, right? Um, and I mean, the other way is like, you know, it's my boat. We're, we're on a ship and I'm the captain, you know, so, uh, and some people like that. Some people don't, there are a lot of people who have relationships that have that power dynamic that don't know anything about BDSM. They know some people do it right. Some people don't do it right. But, uh, but in the end of the day, I'm, my relationship may actually not even look like a lot of other people's power exchange relationships because 
I'm really concerned. I want my partner to be as empowered as possible. I want my partner to make as many decisions as they are capable of making. And when they're not capable of making those decisions, then I, then I step in and I can take care of it. Yeah. So is that a full-time thing or do you guys have, uh, hours where you play like that or like what, what does it look like in a, in a day to day? Uh, we are 24 seven. We are, it is, it's not a role that we play. We are, you know, that is the life that we live. Um, it's not to say that she's, you know, walking on all fours all the time and, and doing nothing but serving me. Um, but <clears throat> we do play. And when we play, our dynamic is more pronounced. Um, but we do have, we both have jobs. We both have lives. Um, You know, I'm, I can tell her what to do and it's my job to know when that's a good idea and when it's not, uh, because I'm not the expert in all things. So, I mean, we're both professional, uh, we're both professional dominance, but her ability to know her clients exceeds mine. And so I'm, I'll do my best to say, well, if that was me, I would do this instead of saying you, what you really need to do is right? Because that's not always helpful. Um, but, you know, where we live, what we do, um, how we how we organize our lives ultimately is my decision. Um, and it because it does match the gender roles, it doesn't seem that peculiar by itself. Um, we do have a 35-page uh, agreement that outlines our relationship and what's expected and how to handle specific conflicts and things like that. Um, and I know that puts her at ease because nothing is unclear, you know, that's a big part. You know, one of the things we talked earlier in the show about how things might look if you just walked in the room versus what's actually going on. And, you know, when you describe your relationship, a lot of people were probably thinking, Because I know the thought across my mind is that it sounds like a 1950s typical marriage, right? Where it's like, yeah, I want her to be, succeed, but at the end of the day, I'm the man, I run the show. And so some people looking from the outside might actually see your relationship looking like more of a traditional <laughs> relationship. But I think the big differences are that it's consensual in this case. And I don't think anybody in the 50s had a 35-page agreement <laughs> that spelled everything out. So <laughs> They so, needed it, though. Well, they sure yeah. did. You know, the, the agreement is so essential. We've done, we've done shows on this. Both Kevin and I have been in open relationship and polyamorous relationship for several years. And the agreements were the reason why the relationships were successful. Without that, without that clarity, and people go like, why do you like have to spell this all over? And it's like, you need to have everything so clearly defined that then you can be free, that it gives you that freedom. Yeah, yeah. you and I actually traded when we were in different relationships, yes. traded our agreements so we could see what we, what, oh, what, what's your relationship doing? Oh, Ex let me see what I got on my list, you exactly. know? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, you only had like six lines. We had six pages. So we're like, hey, you, you may want to fluff it up a little bit. I'm all about efficiency. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. um, <clears throat> um, do you guys revisit uh, your agreements um, annually or whatever that is for you? Yeah, we do. Um, we're, we have like a six-month check-in. 
Um, and I'll be honest, we're behind, uh, <laughs> you know, there's things, there's things that maybe were in the agreement originally, but when rubber met the road, aren't really how it worked. And if we all had all the time in the world, we would have re revised it right away, but you know, life is complicated. So, um, and as long as we agree, then that's great. I mean, uh, and we're both also polyamorous. So, um, so we're, we're open in that way. Um, and so she is, so here's, here's an interesting component. So, um, my partner is a switch. She both dominates and submits. Um, and at a certain point we realized that, uh, she didn't want to submit to anyone else. So she bottoms only to me, submits only to me, and then dominates other people. And the only exception to that is when I might have a friend over who is going to dominate her with me. Um, but in the end, I'm sort of dominating that other person. Somebody's got to be sort of in charge of the situation, uh, at least in my mind. So, um, so yeah, so we have that. And then, uh, we're very open for play, but then sort of romantic relationships have a few more restrictions in terms of like, uh, the standard of, of how we expect to be treated and things like that. So, one last question. I just love this. Uh, what kind of sex do you guys have? Do you have whips and chains? Do you have like uh, vanilla lovemaking? Like, what does it look like for our listener? Give us a little bit of her. <laughs> for those listening, he's, he's shaking some chains and restraints that are hanging behind him. <laughs> I got a leather mask. I got some chains and restraints. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning against a double-sided uh, six by six wood uh, St. Andrew's cross. So this is enough for four people to play on. Um, <laughs> and then behind that, I have like my toy closet, like exploded and is now a wall arrangement. Um, <laughs> and I could reach six or seven whips right now. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. You know, I, you'd think that it was always whips and chains every time, but the reality is that that's not, all the sex that we have i mean we do have like quote-unquote vanilla sex we do have just like okay we're just gonna fuck uh but when we have a scene it, it's almost uh segmented right so if we're going to engage in bdsm then it's almost its own contained experience and it's usually paired with sex so we'll sort of do that and then move on to sex um but yeah, our sex is interesting and it varies in interestingness. This is not always that as, interesting. As sex should. Sex should vary, you know? Well, yeah. yeah. I guess it should never really be boring, boring. But but one of the things that I like about the way you're describing your sex life to the audience is that here's somebody who makes a living doing this, right? This is this is like you're a professional. Your marriage is even a dom sub marriage. So people probably think, oh, it's just always, you know, off the charts, BDSM craziness all the time. And so it, I think it's really good for people to hear that even somebody as pro as you are, it varies. Mm -hmm. Like your sex life is going to vary. Things are going to be, 
you know, really kinky and crazy one day and really vanilla the next day, or maybe not at all, you know, like, and I think it's healthy for people to understand that. Well, and that's really why I got that question. So this has been a fascinating show. Um, I know that you've got a book coming out. uh, So why don't you tell our listeners more about your book, where they can find more of you, and then we'll get into our very last question of the show. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So the book that I put out is called Mind Fucking Mindfully, A Guide to Mental Manipulation for BDSM and Sadomasochism. And it really outlines how you can mess with your partner, how you can play with your partner uh, in play with their head in a way that is healthy and productive and uh, might even help you have more power in the world. Uh, And um, right now it's only available at gumroad.com slash house of Algos as a pre-order. It's going to be available on Amazon in May. Um, and I've got it right here. If you give me, let me to be off screen for just a second. Sure. Sure. And we'll put the links uh, in the description below. If you listen to the show before May, that uh, pre-order link will be in the description. If that's afterwards, you'll be able to find it on Amazon. Is the book? Uh, there's the book, there Mind Fucking Mindfully by Sir Ezra. The book can work too if you're not into BDSM and you just want to kind of like understand a little bit how to uh, mind fuck your partner. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like the most simple mind fuck ever is like, just wait till you get home. You're going to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't have to have kinky sex. You know, it can be about the sort of the art of anticipation. And um, there's a lot in there, too, about uh, like mind fucking that happens in the world in a non-consensual way or a non-erotic way. And I think those are really useful for you know, reclaiming the agency in our own lives because we're constantly being manipulated by advertising agencies, corporations, governments, uh, you know, authority figures in our lives. And if when you can realize that, you can really take the power out of it. um, And then you have more power for yourself to play with. There you go. That is so true. Absolutely. So Ezra, we always like to end with our last question. Please let us know what is your best sexual talent? Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Well, I worked very hard at whips. I can ring from six feet away. I can ring a service bell with the tip of a whip. Impressive. We've never had that one too. That's a very new skill we're hearing about (laughs) on the love lab. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I like, I like heavy masochists. And, uh, if you want to attract a heavy masochist, you just crack a whip and they come, come running. (laughs) All right. fascinating conversation and this is just the beginning so again if you want to connect with sir ezra you can go to his website what's in my kinky.com um, follow him on social medias and all of that get his book um thank you so much for uh, today's conversation i definitely enjoyed myself <laughs> yeah thanks for having me you're welcome all right everybody that's all the time we have for this episode and we will see you next week We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab Podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at CelineRemy.com forward slash vault. That's C-E-L-I-N-E-R-E-M-Y dot com forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing.